This podcast is brought to you by Bruner Communications, your best resource for public speaking, presentation, and storytelling skills. Visit lizbruner.com and take your skills to the next level. How does someone go from calling herself the best toilet scrubber in the South, cleaning gas station restrooms for five bucks a stall, to building a $40 million company and selling it? We're about to find out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and my guest today admittedly has one of the most unorthodox approaches to business that you will probably hear, and yet, she's living proof that it works. Sherry Deutschman, welcome to the show. Thank you, Liz. What a great introduction. I think I need to carry you around with me everywhere I go. (laughs) Well, it's all true. That's what's so wonderful about it. You are a serial entrepreneur, now an angel investor, and an author. And we're going to talk about your wonderful book, Lunch with Lucy, coming up in a moment. But I want to go back in time to around 2002. You're a single mom. You're raising a young daughter. You only have a high school education and meager savings. You cash in your 401k. You sell your house, most of your personal belongings in a yard sale. And you start letter logic in your basement. Talk about a huge risk. Explain yeah. to our listeners what business letter logic is in, because it's really quite fascinating. I guess technically it's called the healthcare revenue cycle business, but we printed and mailed hospital and uh, doctor's offices uh, billing statements where we printed and mailed bills. Wow. Well, and and all of this started because you were working at a different company that actually stuffed envelopes. You had a boss who was pretty apathetic, and you'd you'd go to him with these wonderful ideas, and he basically would shoot you down and said to you, you don't know anything about business, just go sell another account. Oh my gosh, there are so many things to say about that comment. (laughs) Was that the real turning point for you? It was. You know, my frustration in going to him about his company, my ideas for ways to improve his company, because at the time I was a VP of sales and I would sell an account and lose an account because our customer service was so poor. I had determined myself that it was about the culture of the company and the fact mm. that workers were disengaged and unhappy. And I thought that he would go, oh, my gosh, you're right. OK, so you end up quitting And in a few short weeks, you went from being a disgruntled employee at that company to being a CEO. Did you ever imagine that you would start your own business someday? No, especially not, you know, calling myself a CEO. No, it it never occurred to me. I'd actually moved to Nashville to be a star. I thought I was a singer and I got over that pretty quickly. Well, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that because when you moved to Nashville, you left North Carolina, you moved to Nashville. And that was your dream. You're 25 years old, and you want to become this singing star. And you actually did fairly well on one of the contest TV shows, but something happened where you froze. What happened that day? Well, actually, it sounds like I did really well because I came in third place. Well, that's still placing. (laughs) Oh, but there were only three contestants. Oh, okay. So I came in last place and still was delusional enough to you know, pick up my meager belonging and a small child and move to Nashville. Mm. I, I had grit and tenacity and maybe a little craziness even then. Mm. All right, let's go back to North Carolina for a moment, because even before letter logic was a thought in your mind, let alone a reality, 
You did grow up in the South, and you were one of seven children. You credit your mom with your sort of sixth sense and your EQ, and your dad, you credit, with your entrepreneurial spirit. But you had a very interesting relationship with him, and in your own words, you've described him as a tyrant, dogmatic, and unbalanced, a complicated man. And yet, you had a very special relationship with him that began a long time ago, but at 12 years old, you kind of called him out on his behavior. Was that your first lesson in the power of your own personal influence? It's funny that you put it that way, because the first time I retold that story publicly was I was a speaker at Belmont University, and a woman stood up and asked me, when was the first time you felt your power? Mm. And that immediately came to mind. And that was, you know, living in a very restrictive household with a father who was a tyrant and the way he treated my mom. Mm -hmm. But it changed my relationship with him forever. Yeah. And it ended up being kind of a really special relationship that you had with him. It was. You're going to make me cry already. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) that wasn't my goal, but I'm glad you're feeling the emotion of it all. That's wonderful. He died in, in 2016 of uh, biliary cancer, and he, in his last couple of months, he told me that I was his best friend. Oh, you're going to make me cry now. <laughs> wow. I was the only person who he could talk to about these things that he didn't talk to anyone else about, and I was the only person who held him accountable. And it was a special relationship. I, I love and respect the man and saw him grapple with his own, his own humanity through the years. Wow. Well, through the years, you had a lot of odd jobs, a lot of them in sales. You worked in a car business. And even still, though, on the weekends and nights, you cleaned bathrooms, you pulled weeds, you removed trash from parking lots. Just because every single month you were struggling to make ends meet and you had to make some really tough decisions, whether you're going to pay the electric bill or pay for childcare or even food. Those have to have been incredibly tough times. What got you through, Sherry? I mean, what choice did I have? Right. I was like all the other single moms and not just single moms, families that, you know, struggle to make ends meet and often don't. And so you just do what you've got to do. You know, my daughter and I, in those phases where I couldn't pay the light bill and daycare, we learned to to take a really quick bath in cold water. Mm. I had a cooler where I kept the essentials. We just made do. Mm. And I think we were you know, lucky. Uh, see so many families that aren't able to and are living in their cars or worse. Mm-hmm. Making do in many respects, I turn that around to you are a problem solver. And being that wonderful problem solver is what ultimately led you to launch Letter Logic. You knew instinctively from the culture you had been in with that other company that you wanted to build something different. You wanted to create a culture of transformational leadership through empathy. Explain what that means, because you described your approach to business so counter to what most people learn in business school. I had it instinctively, but I had read the book Nuts about how Herb Kelleher started Southwest Airlines with his belief that if he took great care of the employees, the flight attendants and the pilots, that they would be happy when they were at work. And in turn, they would make happy passengers and the passengers would be loyal that really stuck with me. And that's what I ran to my, my boss with that day, with that idea and that book, like, listen to this, we could fix everything. I knew that to be true, that if that happy employees that are well taken care of would be more engaged. And so when I started my company, I started with the notion that my employees would always come first. 
and that they would know they were first. Very important. Well, this amazing journey of Letter Logic and your life is chronicled in your wonderful book, Lunch with Lucy Maximizing by Investing in Your People. I so enjoyed reading it, I couldn't put it down. And I love how it's laid out. It's kind of laid out like a menu. You have the brown bag days chapter, setting your own table, piece of cake. They're all so much fun. But the title, Lunch with Lucy, was a real thing that you did. And Lucy was really you, your alias. How did Lunch with Lucy come about and what was the goal? Infrequently, I had lunch with employees and I was taking an employee to lunch and I I noticed that she was shaking in the car as we were driving to lunch. And I said, are you okay? And she said, yes, I've I've never been to lunch with the CEO before. (laughs) I had to explain to her that the people who had been around for a while called me the EIO and not the CEO. You know, I explained to her, man, you are so much more educated than me. You have nothing to be afraid of. I am in awe of you, and I want to learn from you. Then I thought, I wonder how everybody feels about me and how this title keeps me from being accessible to them. So I just set this practice of Wednesdays. My lunch hour at Wednesdays was only for employees. And they could reach out to me and say, I want this Wednesday. And they chose the restaurant and they chose who else would go with us to lunch. And then they chose the topic of conversation. And you paid for it. <laughs> yeah, I just got to hear about them. You know, some of them had pretty hard lives at homes that I was unaware of. I got to hear about that and to, you know, figure ways that I could adjust the company policies or culture to be, make their lives better. I learned about, you know, things that were going on in the company that I would not have known about otherwise. It was just a way for them to feel valued and connected, but it was incredibly valuable to me as the CEO. Mm. Yeah, you write about that this was kind of the, the most important time of your work week. I'm curious, what was one of the hardest things that you heard about yourself during one of those lunches, and what changes did you make, if any? The thing that comes to mind right off the bat was a, you know, a policy change that I had made, and it wasn't an individual that wanted to go to lunch with me. It was the entire department. That one was a two- or three-hour lunch. They shared with me how my policy was short-sighted and was not employee first. And they talked to me about how it affected them. We went back to the office and I immediately went into the leadership team and said, we're changing that policy back today. That's, you know, one of the ways they knew I heard them was because I reacted and, you know, responded to them. But it was hard to hear that as much as I pride myself on being empathetic and putting them first that I had put in this policy Well, no one is perfect, right? I mean, we all learn from our failures and our mistakes, and that's part of the growth process. Your book is filled with so many of those unorthodox approaches, your words, and including talking about your generous profit-sharing plan that you put together, also the fair living wage, and you really call it more of a fair pay philosophy. And in fact, when you raised the pay by $4 an hour, in the first 18 months of doing so, your profits quadrupled. So besides everyone making more money, which is great, how did that really change people's lives, your employees' lives? I think it was dramatic. And mostly it was by letting them know they were valued and letting them realize their part in creating the profitability. That's what I accomplished through the profit share plan. It's an amazing plan that you put together. It's unique. It was my own, and I think it was the smartest business idea I ever had. We did the profit share monthly, not annually like most companies do. 
And when we did the distribution, I took just 10% of the profit, whatever it was, and split it evenly among all the employees, which meant that our janitor got the same thing I got. That let everybody know that they were equally valuable to the bottom line, Mm -hmm. that their position, no matter how menial it appeared, was equally valuable to the company. That changed behavior. And that's one of the things that contributed to us becoming more and more profitable because everybody started really minding and being really mindful of the direct correlation between their actions um, or inactions and our profitability. That really caused behavioral changes that made us increasingly more profitable. Mm. It was monthly. It was evenly. Some people argued, well, that's not the way it's supposed to go. It's supposed to be a percentage of your salary. But the salaries are already indicative of your level of education or experience, and we don't need something else to create more of a hierarchy. I think that equal profit sharing had a really unique effect on people and their engagement, seeing each other as peers and not in this hierarchical situation. And it made them root for one another and stand in for one another and help one another constantly. And, you know, when we got to 40 million in revenue, there were only 51 of us. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. It helped us become just a lot more profitable because we were leaner and we didn't just throw people at a problem. We all buckled down and worked really hard. Mm, I love that. There's so many leadership lessons in this book. Not only the empathy and putting your employees first, but how to identify when to say yes and when to say no. You also have an entire section on charts and titles and org charts. And I want to share with people how you have been honored with many accolades by President Obama as the White House Champion of Change in 2016. You've been recognized by the New York Times, Forbes Magazine, and EY selected you as one of their 2009 Entrepreneurial Winning Women for growing your business debt-free, I might add, to that $40 million enterprise. Those are just extraordinary accolades. Congratulations. The other one that I think is so interesting, too, is that your company was named Inc. 5000 Company, which is the fastest growing privately held business in the United States. You got that award for 10 consecutive years. Those are extraordinary accomplishments. But I also need to point out, and you talk about this in the book, that while, yes, you had all of those achievements, all of those accolades, It was not without its difficulties, and one of those specifically was when you felt like you strayed from your lane and Mm -hmm. what letter logic was best known for, and you even admit you ignored your own gut instincts. Talk to us a little bit about that. I did what a lot of entrepreneurs do, and that is, uh, you know, chase the shiny object. Mm -hmm. We were low-tech business, really. There was a, you know, technical component to it, but we were under pressure from clients and from the team to make it so that we could deliver those patient statements electronically and receive payments on behalf of our clients electronically. My gut said not to do it, but I thought, well, we should try it and that'll help us be even more competitive. Then a couple of million dollars chasing that dream of us becoming a, a tech company and uh, you know, realized that we could never catch up mm. and that we should just focus on being what we were, which was the best in delivering the patient statements on paper. The painful part of that is that my bad decisions in that regard caused us to have decreasing profits and then two months back to back of losses. Mm. 
There goes that profit sharing piece, yeah. right? I had to stand up in front of the employees because we had a, a monthly meeting with all the employees together in one room with lunch. And we went over the, the financials from the previous month and we passed out the profit share checks. And I had to stand in front of them crying, uh, telling them there's no profit this month. Mm. That was an untenable situation, which I corrected pretty quickly. And, you know, went back to them and said, I, I was taking us down a wrong path. And we're going to go back to what got us in the situation of being a fast growth company with no debt. We are going to do strictly paper and we're going to partner with other companies to do the electronic part. And we got back on track very quickly, but it was a dark phase. What I think is so interesting, too, now, so you, you get back on track and that's fantastic and you end up selling your company. I mean, very different days from before when you started the company in your basement and you're wondering how you're going to pay your electric bill. Then in 2019, you founded Brain Trust, a membership organization that helps women entrepreneurs grow their business to reach that pivotal that you talk about $1 million annual revenue because only something like 1.7% of women business owners get there. What excites you about this organization and helping women reach that very pivotal moment? the ability to help women reach financial independence and to end generational poverty and to start having more of a voice. You know, I, I saw that for me being uneducated, having no money, starting a business, and then getting so much attention that I was featured in the New York Times and then invited to the White House. That happened only because I was a successful business owner. And that business gave me a megaphone. It gave me a platform to be influential in lots of ways. And I want more women to have that opportunity. And I want more women to be able to work just one job and not three jobs. Mm. You know, the freedom that came with me having my own company that was successful. So far, it's working. The incredible results already. Mm. One of the other things that I love about your book so much, Lunch with Lucy, is just your own personal authenticity. Because even with all this success that we've talked about, you have had doubts. And you have even written about that when people would deliver praise to you, always wondered, well, am I, am I good enough? And, and all those limiting beliefs. Have you gotten past that? Or are you still working on it? Oh, I'm still working on it. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> Sometimes I, I doubt my leadership abilities. I think that is a common thread with many entrepreneurs. And I think that is key to our success. That not good enough feeling is what drives us. Mm, very interesting. Yeah. One of the things I love to share with my clients when I'm talking to them is, and, and it's about this praise piece, that if your team or your direct reports don't see you accepting praise for a job well done, it makes it very hard for them to accept praise. Does that resonate with you? It does. And it makes me, I'm going to have to shift my behavior immediately. Thanks a lot, Liz. You're welcome. <laughs> Free coaching tip. <laughs> Looking back, Sherry, on those early days when you were struggling so much just to put food on the table, what would you want your younger self to know? That, you know, I, I had a kind of a chip on my shoulder because of the lack of education, but that innate empathy and also just common sense, which is not that common, were enough. Mm -hmm. I would want me to just to lean into that more and to listen to my gut more. The biggest mistakes I've made throughout life in business and otherwise were not listening to my gut. Very good advice, I think, for people, whether they're thinking of 
changing careers, creating a next chapter, becoming an entrepreneur. So important. If you'd like to learn more about Sherry and her book, Lunch with Lucy, just go to SherryDeutschman.com. And I'm going to spell that out. It's S-H-E-R-R-Y-D-E-U-T-S-C-H-M-A-N-N.com. And we'll have that in the show notes to make it easy for people. You can also find her link to OurBrainTrust.org. Sherry, thank you so much for joining me today and really for sharing with all of us how kindness and compassion are contagious and they are the keys to success. Thank you, Liz. It was just a joy to be with you. Oh, well, it's been a joy for me as well. And I hope for all of our listeners around the world, I thank you for tuning in today. And please remember Sherry's secret sauce, empathy. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fastwitchmedia.space.